Welcome to the Innovation Meets Leadership Podcast. Real inspiration for real innovators. If you're looking for innovation and leadership transformation, your journey starts now. Well, hello and welcome to the Innovation Meets Leadership Podcast. I'm your guest host, Aaron Bourne, and today is the 100th episode. So to celebrate, we're going to do things a little bit differently. I will be interviewing the founder and the host of the Innovation Meets Leadership Podcast, Natalie Bourne. So we'd love for you to help us spread the word by leaving a review wherever you listen to podcasts. And I want to remind you to check us out on YouTube and subscribe to follow us for more innovation resources. So Natalie Bourne is the host of the Innovation Meets Leadership Podcast, as well as the host of two additional podcasts. She's a keynote speaker, an innovation facilitator, and she happens to be an inventor on two approved U.S. patents. Beyond all that, she's my wife. So Natalie, <laughs> welcome to the show. Thank you. It's so weird to sit on the other side of things, but thank you for having me today, Aaron. <laughs> uh, well, it is a pleasure to have you. This is my third time getting to be with you on the show, and I'm super excited because today is a unique and special event. It is 100 episodes. That's right. Day. That's right. I'm so excited. <laughs> it's, this has been so incredible to think about all the people that have followed the journey of the Innovation Meets Leadership podcast, all of you who listen. And it's really cool when someone walks up to me and says, hey, I listen to your podcast or one of your podcasts. And it's really cool because you just never know who's out there listening. Yeah. And you're always like, you know, you wonder who listens. You wonder, you know, what their thoughts are. But it's so helpful to know that the podcast is adding value. We've had some really phenomenal guests come on and speak to us. And that has just been so inspiring as well. Well, it is my favorite podcast. And the thing I think I'm most proud about or most impressed with is how many countries are joining that you have a worldwide audience of people that are loving this topic of innovation and leadership. Yeah. So gosh, I want to say it's roughly like maybe 65 plus countries now listening from around the world. So what's really neat is that some of the people who have been on the podcast have actually reached out from other countries and they're jumping on the podcast. They've been listening, but now they're a guest. And so you're actually going to hear from one of those people in the next few episodes to come that is an avid listener of the podcast. And now he's going to come on and talk about the not inventing here syndrome and he's one of the countries listening from around the world which is really cool yeah so hello to our worldwide audience and thanks for celebrating with us today as we dive right in today we wanted to really talk about something that's near and dear to your heart and i would say something that's not just something you care about but you actually live your life around and that is a topic that i don't believe you've actually discussed yet on the podcast and that happens to be what kills innovation. Yeah, that's a big topic. And it's funny because a little while ago, I did a talk in DC about this. And it was funny because somebody reached out and said, well, what did you talk about? And I said, it was too much to type. But if you'll hold on, I said, for our 100th episode, why don't we record something on what kills innovation? I think it's such a big, broad topic. And it's something that something we need to talk about because it's happening in a lot of companies. Absolutely. Well, and I would tell I would tell your audience that I have personally benefited on this passion of yours. Yeah. I have, you've actually helped me fulfill so many dreams in my own life by teaching me one, how to remove obstacles and then how to run with my dreams. It's just been a great sounding board. So I'm excited that your audience is also going to get to reap the benefits of this topic because it really is something you're passionate about. And I can attest that <laughs> it has helped change my life. So cool. let's dive right into that first yeah. principle of what kills innovation. What is the first principle of what kills innovation? I think you said it's a 
is it a, a lack of psychological safety, right? Yeah, lack of psychological safety. And most people are familiar with this big Google study that's been done that talks about the fact that, you know, there's many, many things that, that kill innovation, but psychological safety, it really kills team dynamic if it's not there. And so a lot of what I love to do when I talk about this topic of what kills innovation is I love to open up with a story. Yeah. And I love to talk about an experience that I personally had when I had first started a new job. And everyone knows how it is when we start that new job. Like we're wanting to impress, right. we want to show up, like we're wanting to make sure we're a part of the team and delivering the piece of what we can only bring to the table. And I remember going into that conference room and just being so excited. And they threw out a problem that they were trying to solve. And I remember I'd solved this problem before at another company. And so I just kind of let everybody go around the room and talk about it. Yeah. And then when they were done, I was like, well, hey, I'd love to share some just thoughts with you on how I've solved that at other places, which I learned very quickly was a big no-no. That was not welcomed. <laughs> you know, I had one person like, you know, say, hey, we've tried that before. I've had one person say that'll never work here. And here's 10 reasons why. And you just have all these different dynamics in the room. And what you learn very early on, especially as a new employee, you learn whether or not it's safe or not yeah. to pitch ideas, to pitch thoughts to your team. Mm -hmm. And then you learn very quickly, is this a place where innovation goes to thrive or goes to die? Mm -hmm. And man, sitting at that conference table, I can just remember feeling completely deflated. And we've, you know, we've seen this over and over again through consulting and through many, many dynamics of people who walk into a room one way and walk out another way because there's not good facilitation in the meeting. There's not good way to help people get ideas out and feel like they can have their ideas heard, even if it's not the best idea and the one we need to run with. No, that's true. And I think that really, as you were describing that story, that plays on one of your other principles we'll get to in a minute about the status quo. But I think that's really what you brought to the table. I know that, again, like I said, I've experienced it and I've watched you do it for so many other people of giving them permission to dream, giving them permission to throw out ideas and making it, you know, there's nothing worse than when people are going to call your ideas stupid or look <laughs> at you like you're stupid. Right. And I love the fact that you create an environment for that. And I think that really is the key is to say there's no bad ideas. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. And I think there's mental places, right. That we need to move to in our mind when we're ideating. So initially we have to move to that place where we're saying, hey, we're going to throw out as many ideas as we want. As a matter of fact, the goal is to generate as many ideas as we can. Mm -hmm. And then next, we're going to go into this part where we group like ideas together. We're going to group them together. And so that way we understand that we have 45 ideas, but mm -hmm. really we only have 10. And those 10 ideas should be isolated so we can look at them very specifically. And then, you know, that's open, that's explore. And then we move to this idea of closing where we say, okay, now it's time for us to make a decision. Or maybe the decision is we're going to take the top three ideas away and go do more research. But I think what happens in dynamics in most team dynamics and in most meetings is, you know, you get in a room, people throw a bunch of ideas around, nobody's documenting anything or writing anything down. And so you kind of feel like, is it even a point in me speaking? Because all these things are being lobbed around, nothing's being captured, nothing's being organized. And then by the end of the meeting, no one's really decided anything. So you walk out of the meeting unsure of the next steps. And that kills innovation too, yeah. because you literally have ideas that are dying on the vine because we're not coordinated and organized enough to say, hey, we should capture some of these and we should group them. And then we should leave here with a decision, even if the decision is let's do more research. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, it feels good because everyone's <laughs> getting to communicate and they get to throw their ideas out on the table. And so that like that feels fulfilling in a sense. But I like it when you kind of compare it to building blocks and how all these ideas, some are bad, some are weird, some are crazy. But as you're <laughs> building them together, it's what leads you to kind of a this great idea that had all these pieces underneath it. Yeah. Uh, by the way. So. It's funny. There's a game that so one of the things we share as innovation facilitators, it's like ideas with each other. So I was talking to this other facilitator and I love their idea of how they get people to kind of disconnect from their idea once they give it is that they actually play this game where every 30 minutes, the idea rotates. And you've done this with some of your work, Mm. but every 30 minutes, the idea rotates to a new table. Mm. So you're forced to let go of everything you were thinking about, all your thoughts, all your dreams on that one idea you pitched, and you have to release it down the line so that someone else can do thought on it. And when it gets back to you, right, when that rotation turns and it gets back to you, it actually doesn't even look like your idea anymore. And so you're able to really release the thoughts that were yours and you're not holding on to them saying, well, that was my idea. That was my thing. No, now it's actually our thing. And that to me is what actually gives rise to innovation. So if a lack of psychological safety kills innovation, this is what gives rise to innovation, the ability to be safe, to pitch ideas, to share ideas, and not to hold on to your idea so dearly that you feel like you can't let it go, but to not even recognize your idea by the time it gets back to you. I love that. That, That's great. I think what it does is I think a lot of the reasons why people do not create psychological safety is they feel threatened by it. Either one, they're resisting change, or two, they're like, I'm the ideas guy. Mm -hmm. Like, why are you bringing ideas (laughs) in the room? And what that exercise you just described does is that frees everybody up from that. So I love that. Yeah, that's cool. Well, your second principle of what kills innovation is a lack of visual agreement. You were kind of just beginning to go into that a little bit. Yeah, it was. I was because like when I was talking about capturing all those yeah, ideas, yeah. that's like visual agreement to me. I love this uh, little meme that's been out there where there's these three people standing there and they say, I'm glad we all agree. But if you look in their thought bubble, one person's thinking of a triangle, the other one's thinking of a circle and the other one's thinking of a square. And so often that's true of us when we have a conversation back and forth. And if we don't put it on the board visually, then we walk out of the room thinking that we mean the same thing. All three of us go execute something completely different. And then we come back together, right? Maybe that person that was over the whole conversation is like, what is this? This is not what we talked about. And you're like, well, I thought. And they're like, well, I thought. And because we don't have visual agreement, there's a stat that says this. People reach decision 14% faster when visual thinking is used. And it makes me wonder which one of us needs 14% more time back, right? Which one of us would like to end every meeting 14% earlier than we normally do, I would, right? I'd like 14 minutes back in every meeting I'm in. Well, part of the way we can do that is through visual thinking. I love to use tools like Mural if I'm on a phone call so that we're all looking at the same thing. We can ideate, we can brainstorm in the moment. You can see ideas going on the board in the moment, moving around in the moment, but you see us collaborating in the moment. And then when we left, We didn't just talk about the meeting we needed to have. We actually did the work. I think so many of us are so tired of talking about the meeting to have the meeting versus just having the meeting. And so when we work visually and when we collaborate in that way, we're actually having the meeting, not talking about the meeting we're going to have. No, I like that because, you know, you think about how much money that's going to save. And I know as a man, I'm definitely, I need to see it. It's not enough for me just to hear you tell me, like, I have to see it. And so I love that. I think that that should happen more often. It's it's almost like 
when you were saying, you know, who wants to, who wants to get pizza? And we're all picturing, well, I'm going to order from this place. It's going to have these <laughs> toppings and you got to see a picture of it. Yeah. So I love the fact that you're doing that. And I've watched you do this in meetings so much. These exercises where you put out colorful stick notes and markers and boards. And so now the meeting has taken on so much more engagement because mm-hmm. now people are visually stimulated. They're, they're listening, they're seeing, they're feeling, they're touching, and the whole room comes alive. And now it really is an environment that creates innovation. Well, what I love about that too, when you see those sticky notes and you see those Sharpie pins, and I probably should have stock, right? And all these things <laughs> at this point, but you realize you're there to work. You're not there to sit. You're not there to multitask. You're not a spectator either. You're not a spectator. You're not there to be on your laptop and answer email while the rest of us do the work. Like you're an equal joint heir of this meeting, right? You're part of the party and I need to hear from you. Like we need to hear from you. And so that's what I love about visual agreement. It doesn't just create more clarity, which it absolutely does. It's also a forcing function to draw people to the table to get their ideas, to get their thoughts. Isn't there nothing worse than having an hour long meeting where we agree on something and someone leaves and was like, well, I didn't agree to that. Right. Because you were on your laptop the whole time and you didn't even realize that we covered this topic. Or they felt like they didn't need to be in the meeting. Right. And what this does, and I've watched you do some projects that we've gotten to work on together, is everyone has come out of the room saying, wow, that was actually a fun meeting. Mm-hmm. versus so if you want to even if you don't want to innovate if you just want your company to be more fun <laughs> I mean, like, just introducing this as exercises to really do team building to to create this bonded you know brotherhood yeah. sisterhood yeah atmosphere. well it goes back to point one which is psychological safety yeah. why is it fun it's fun because i was heard it's fun because i heard others mm-hmm. it's fun because we evolved ideas and it was fun because we know what the next steps are and It's fun because I now feel productive. I don't feel like I wasted my time on a meeting. I don't feel like, you know, I am just silenced in a meeting. I I got to see one meeting dynamic that was very interesting where, you know, the person started kind of going off on everybody and telling them why all their ideas were really bad. And instantly the oxygen was sucked out of the room and everybody was quiet. And it was this idea of this. The next person that speaks on this with a different or a contrary thought's an idiot. (laughs) And that was like how the meeting went. And I thought, man, you guys will never innovate if this is how your meetings run. If there's somebody in the room that's big enough, strong enough, powerful enough voice wise to shut everyone else down, innovation will not happen in a room like this. Well, it stomps out any kind of creative process. And so some people work in jobs where they actually don't even get to express aspects of their personality, aspects of who they are. And what this does is it brings in a whole new layer of engagement that may not even exist in their current field and anybody can do it. Wow. You know, so when I hear you say that, that actually like, oh, it hurts my heart. Like it makes me so sad to hear, you know, cause it's true mm-hmm. that there are people sitting in meetings and there are people coming up, showing up that are not able to truly be who they're yeah. called to be because of this dynamic that's happening in a room, in a meeting room, right? Or in a company. And so that is part of, to me, what kills innovation is you not feeling like you can bring your whole self to the table. You feeling that you have to hide who you really are, hide pieces or facets of yourself because of the dynamic in an organization. Those are all things that have to be torn down if innovation is going to thrive in an organization. Like, And that, to me... It hurts at the core to hear that. It's funny. It almost reminds me, and again, we're not necessarily going to deeply get into this today, but another thing that's not kind of on my top three of what kills innovation is pace. 
Like the pace of an organization can kill innovation. And it reminds me if you guys have ever seen the, you know, Lucy chocolate factory episode (laughs) with her and Ethel, where they've got the conveyor belt of chocolates and, you know, it's going by and they're doing okay at first and they're wrapping them. And, you know, Ethel explains that this is her third stop today. Like she's already been to two other locations, didn't work out there. So now she's at her third and final stop. And if it doesn't work here, she's fired. And these things start coming down the line faster and faster. And Lucy yells out, Ethel, I think we're fighting a losing battle here. And it's that phrase that I think a lot of people feel in organizations. It's that phrase that kills innovation where someone is in a company and they're saying, I think we're fighting a losing battle here. That is the word of I'm giving up. Mm -hmm. That is the hope is lost. Hope is gone. I'm so frustrated. And Every time I watch that clip, which I watch it pretty often, (laughs) every time I watch that clip, it always, that part always makes me sad. So when you said that about not being able to bring your whole self to the table, that feels like when Lucy yells out in that factory, Hey, I think we're fighting a losing battle. And we all know what happens next in that clip. The lady comes in, you know, they've shoved chocolate down their shirt, in their Mm -hmm. hat, everywhere they can put it. And she looks around, right? Lacks any type of awareness, looks around and says, well, I guess you guys are doing okay. And then she says, speed it up. And the thing starts flying. It's all out chaos. It's in their mouth. It's in their hat. I mean, but so many times pace, the pace of an organization is what kills innovation as well, because we're going so fast that we don't breathe. We don't think. And when you're not having time, when you're not having downtime, what we're actually hurting is we're hurting people where, where they can actually dream. And so often, you know, when you hear somebody being creative, they're like, hey, I was on a walk or I was in the shower and this idea came. And so, so many times we load people up with so much work and their pace is so breakneck that there's no room to breathe, to think and to innovate. Well, I think that's what another reason why the visual agreement is so important is because one, you know, helps you come to a decision faster. But I think illustrating where things are, where you hope things are going to be, it brings to light where you actually get to say, hey, here's where we are right now. Here's the the status of things, the process. Here's how people are feeling. Here's the pace we're at. I know I learned that just from bringing in visual reports. Mm -hmm. I used to bring in just reports you could read and watching that when people actually started looking and saying, oh, this is way different than what I thought. They paid Uh attention. They were listening more. They were more engaged. And so visual agreement, visual displays, just everything visual. Yes, everything visual. I mean, I love that you said that because that is how most people learn. They're visual learners. Some people learn by doing, but we have to understand our audience. We have to understand who we're talking to. And most times it doesn't click for people until they see it visually. There was something else you were saying earlier, and I want to just pause on this for a second because you were talking about being able to see where things are at. So I love, love, love. I don't know why, but I love doing annual planning with organizations. And there was annual planning I was doing several years ago. And all the VPs and the senior VPs, they had these like, big aspirations for our org that year, right? Some big, big aspirations. And we got this big piece of butcher paper out and we put it across from one end. We were in a hotel. We put it across from one end of the conference room to the other and we put all their stickies on it. And what we realized is that they were trying to accomplish 80 things in January. Wow. And so visually, right? Well, it's just my thing. It's just my five things. Yeah, and yeah, it's just yeah. your five things. And it's yeah. just his five things. And next thing you know, January alone had 80 items. And so- It was heavy in January, February, March, 
lighter kind of in April, May, June. And then you started to see it pick up again in August. And so what we were able to do by looking at our entire organization visually is we were able to start to say, well, when do you really need this? Well, you know, technically I don't really need it till June. Great. That's going to move. And so we were able to start moving some of these initiatives. Do you really need this initiative this year? No, that's really a next year. Great. Let's move it off completely. And so I love what you're saying about that because so much happens visually that can't just happen when we're talking. Yeah. Had you not put that out in front of everyone, then they would have no real understanding of where we are. And then they they wouldn't be able to make the decision of what do we actually want to do? What are we willing to give up? to make sure that that can happen. So yeah, that's good. beautiful. That's going to lead us though to our third principle of what kills innovation. <laughs> and that is the status quo. Oh man. <laughs> the dreaded status quo. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you know, obviously there's so many different ways to relate status quo. You yeah. can relate it in your own life where you're at. That for sure kills innovation in your own life. If you're just living with the status quo, with the way things are, right? Many of us love to live in our comfort zones because yeah. it's comfortable. We manage it. Yes, <laughs> we love it. I mean, it's exactly why it's called a comfort zone. And so yeah. oftentimes if we feel any bit of pain, we start to shrink back into that comfort zone. And I would argue if you're feeling pain, you're right on the precipice mm-hmm. of something new, of something brilliant. And so that pain yeah. is actually sometimes the the thing that should propel you forward to say, hey, I'm almost on to something. I need to continue. I mean, it's the same way, you know, in anything I've ever endeavored to do, I was never good at it at first, mm-hmm. ever. <laughs> and so, you know, we need to be able to apply that. I mean, so often even our kids will say, well, I'm no good at this. Well, you've never really you tried, never tried it. it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, I, and what does it they always say that people are really only willing to change either through desperation mm-hmm. or inspiration. Yeah. And so a lot of times you come to an organization and they're just not desperate or they're not inspired. And mm-hmm. so what you get to come in and do is kind of shake the boat a little bit, rock the boat mm-hmm. and say, Hey, you know, what can we do to get better? And the hardest part of what kills innovation, I, I think out of everything you've talked about is people are just so hanging on to how things are. Yeah. And they're not willing to change. The past, right? Yeah. Stuck in the past. A lot of times we do this, right? Even, you know, I even think about that first story I opened up with. And, you know, part of, I think the problem is with opening up with a story like that is people can say, well, you were leaning on your past to predict your future. Yeah. And you're right, right? Like, I think that our experience is, there's a point to it. It's helpful. But sometimes our experience can hurt us if that's all we lean on and we're not willing to step out of the boat, take a risk and try new things. And I think that so often, you know, innovation is spelled risk. Like there is so much there in innovation where you have to take a risk. Now we can take calculated risks. I love to say this. You guys know this fail fast, fail cheap, fail often, like fail while it's cheap, right? I've shared in other episodes about Nokia, right? We've talked about how they built something that was a slow moving train wreck Mm. and that it took a very long time for them to realize that they were building, you know, they kind of put their ladder against the wrong building, right? And so we don't want to put our ladder against the wrong building. And so there's so much when you talk about status quo that can be challenged by getting outside of your, getting out of your desk, out of your building and going and talking to your customers because they're the ones that are going to tell you what's working and what's not. And so often we're afraid to have that dialogue. You know, I've literally been in a customer's office and they were like, I hate this product. (laughs) You know, like I hate this. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, okay, I built it. You know, (laughs) give me the earful. Tell me why you hate it. Tell me what's bothering you about it. What's keeping you up at night? Why do you hate paying for this? 
What problems is it not solving for you? And so often it's easy to say, well, I'm going to go talk to the customers that applaud me and love me and are friendly with me. And I'm not going to go talk to the ones that hate this product, but it's in those places, right. That you can learn. I've actually realized that what they hate are new product ideas for me. Wow. So as they're telling me what they hate, I'm figuring out what feature or what new product is that that can actually solve the problem. And I always ask them for this agreement at the end. I always say, if I agree to help fix this, will you agree to test it? So I'm keeping them on the hook to spend more time and more money with us because, you know, they're expressing a genuine challenge. Now, I don't just stop there. I want to find that as a pattern, right? I don't just want to go build it for one person. I want to go find out, is this a pattern? Are there other people that feel the same way? And if I can get 10, 15, 20 customers saying that they all feel the same way, then I have a new product, a new feature. I have something new that I can build. It's going to add value for those I'm building it for. So status quo prevents us from asking the hard question. It prevents us from asking people that work for us, how am I doing? Yeah. It prevents us from asking the people that we report to, can you share with me some things I can work on in this next year? Status quo keeps us in a place where we become stagnant. And if we decide to become stagnant, we eventually become irrelevant. Well, it goes back to your first point, psychological safety. And so if people are unwilling to put themselves out there and take that risk, they're never going to take the criticism, and the feedback, which right. is going to lead to that. And, you know, when you were telling your first story about, well, we've tried that before. We've done that here. That'll never work. I think if you can establish the game rules before you go into it, because yeah, we did try that before, but that was five years ago. And right. Technology has changed. Yeah. Cultures changed. Right. The environment wasn't ready, but the environment right. is ready now. Yeah. So just because we've done it before, doesn't mean we can't do it again. That's so know? good. Yeah. yeah. And again, if we try it in a small test, that's how we can know yeah. that it will actually be effective versus you know, spending millions or billions of dollars on something only to find out it's not the not the thing, right? So I think we need to take small risks, small tests, and use that as a launching point for what we're trying to build. That's good. Well, this is fun. And <laughs> I'd love to keep going. I wish your show was twice as long. <laughs> we, we keep going into it. But what are some final thoughts for your listeners? Yeah, I mean, I just want to say, you know, as we're in the new year now, I want you to think about psychological safety, I want you to think about the impact that you can have on those around you. Maybe it's your team. Maybe it's those you lead. Maybe it's your customers. What are some ways that you can bring psychological safety into the mix? I also want you to think about this idea of visual agreement. What's one way that you can work more visually in the new year? Because again, you're going to get 14% more effective you know, agreements with the people you're working with. You're going to reach agreements sooner, which is so important. I mean, we're all looking for the ability to get on the same page faster. And my last question is, what are you going to do to break out of status quo in the new year? What are you going to do to show up differently? I'll kind of leave you with this quick story that I love. Kat Cole calls it the hot shot rule. She says, if you were to get fired tomorrow and someone was to come in and take your job, what are the top three things that they would do immediately in your organization? What are the things they would change? What would they do differently? Okay, great. So if they would do those three things, why don't you go implement those this year? That's fun. I like that. Well, new year, yeah, new season. There's going to be a lot of exciting things happening for your next 100 episodes. Yeah. So it's going to be a great time, just new frontier for Innovation Meets Leadership. But where can people find you or follow you? Yeah. So go over to innovationmeetsleadership.com. I would love for you to drop your, your name and email and sign up for my newsletter because 
I am writing a book yeah. that is going to launch in April all around innovation. And so I really want you to be with me when it launches and to know about it for you guys to be the first to know. So I'm super excited about that. It's chock full of frameworks and innovation thoughts and ways that you can change your environment. You can also follow me at Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn at Innovation Meets Leadership. So head over there and follow, please, because I would love to do that. And of course, I'm going to say it again, shameless plug, please leave a review because it helps yeah. other people like you, other innovators, find this podcast. Well, thank you for your time today, Natalie. <laughs> and thank you, everyone, for joining us. To our listeners, I want to say thank you for joining the Innovation Meets Leadership podcast. And remember, don't just get out of the box, break the box and set it on fire. Let's, Let's go, go transform, transform something. something. <laughs> thank you for joining us for the Innovation Meets Leadership podcast. Be sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes. Follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Innovation Meets Leadership. And visit our site at innovationmeetsleadership.com for more innovation resources. Today's sponsorship is brought to you by Territory Global. We work at the intersection of experience and imagination. We help you pinpoint problems and turn them into opportunities. We make imagine happen. Some of the best organizations in the world choose us as their partner to help solve their strategy, innovation, transformation, story, and ways of working problems. Learn more at Territory.co.